Bringing it back isn't impossible, but it will be difficult. National Museum of the United States Air Force, let not the defeatists tell us that it is too late, it will never be earlier. Tomorrow will be later than today. FDR, December 1940, imagine that you grew up and lived your whole life protected by an invisible magical shield that kept out the armies of foreign conquerors. The shield had been there before you were born, and there was no reason to think it ever wouldn't be there. It was simply a background fixture of your universe. And then one day imagine that this invisible shield vanished. You wouldn't notice right away, and the conquerors, lurking patiently behind that shield, might also take a while to realize that your land now lay open and vulnerable to their armies. You would go about your life for a while unaware that anything important had changed. If you live in a democratic country, I worry that this pretty much describes the situation you're in right now. These days I think a lot about this chart. Why did democracy go from a fringe form of government in 1944 to a system that governed half the world by 2010? Was it because democracy was more economically advantageous? Was it because people demanded more democracy as they got richer? Maybe. But maybe it was a lucky result of U.S. power. American war production crushed the fascist empires in World War II, including saving the USSR, defended the free world during the Cold War, and held rogue states in check afterwards. Franklin D. Roosevelt was right. America really was the arsenal of democracy. One small table of WW2 production numbers from Wikipedia shows exactly how the war was won. Wikipedia, the U.S. was by far the biggest producer, building twice as many large ships as all other combatants combined, and at least twice as many aircraft as any other combatant. The country's mighty ought. Oh, aircraft and ship industries took a while to ramp up war production, but when they did, nothing on the planet could match them. Books like Freedom's Forge and Destructive Creation will tell you the story of how this was achieved. And that industrial dominance carried over into the Cold War, bolstered by the addition of Germany and Japan, two other leading manufacturing nations, as U.S. allies. The Soviets could threaten the West with their nuclear arsenal, but when it came to war production, the free world could outproduce the communist world. For the first time since before the world wars, that situation has changed. The rise of China as a manufacturing powerhouse to rival the U.S. and all of Europe combined was always going to present a major challenge. But the utter withering of the U.S. defense industrial base since the turn of the century has made this much less of a contest. The balance of military production potential now lies firmly on the side of the autocratic powers. That sounds like a startling claim to make. But here are three images from my recent post about the threat of war with China that make the point pretty clearly. Business Insider, if the U.S. mightiest efforts can only produce one-ninth of the artillery shells we could build in 1995, and China can produce 200 times as many ships as the U.S., the arsenal of democracy that existed during WW2 in the Cold War is gone. Even if these figures are exaggerated by a factor of three, it still means the arsenal of democracy is gone. I am not a lone voice in the wilderness shouting about this. A lot of people in the commentariat are coming to the same realization. Here's A. Wes's Mitchell in Foreign Policy. Greater than the United States is a heartbeat away from a world war greater than greater than that it could lose. There are serious conflicts requiring U.S. attention in greater than two of the world's three most strategically important regions. Greater than greater than the United States has fought multi-front wars before. But in past conflicts, it greater than was always able to outproduce its opponents. That's no longer the case. Greater than China's navy is already bigger than the United States in terms of sheer greater than number of ships. 
and it's growing greater than greater than by the equivalent of the entire French Navy, about 130 vessels according to greater than the French Naval Chief of Staff every four years. By comparison, the U.S. greater than Navy plans greater than greater than an expansion by 75 ships over the next decade, greater than greater than defending U.S. allies, won't be possible unless the United States gets its greater than defense industrial base in order. Since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war, greater than total U.S. defense production has increased by a mere 10% greater than, even as the war demonstrates greater than the staggeringly high consumption of military ammunition in a major conflict. Here's Mackenzie Eaglin at the American Enterprise Institute. Greater than the Pentagon recently released its annual report Greater Than, on greater than China's military developments, and its findings are clear. Our military greater than struggles to keep up, greater than greater than China has continuously outpaced the U.S. in shipbuilding, greater than capabilities, greater than in shipyard capacity, while China's navy is expected to increase by nearly 20 greater than percent in just a half decade. The navy's FY24 shipbuilding plan greater than projects greater than that it will keep getting smaller. Our fleet will shrink to 285 ships in 2025 greater than, and remain less than its size today, at 290 ships in 2030, as ship retirements greater than consistently outpace new ship construction. Greater than greater than Tehe U.S. submarine fleet is expected to stand at just 57 boats in greater than 2030. Tehe recent submarine depot maintenance backlog greater than has greater than rendered nearly 40% of the U.S. submarine fleet inoperable. Year after greater than year, the U.S. Navy remains saddled with shrinking greater than and greater than increasingly uncertain greater than budgets. Other articles to similar effect are popping up elsewhere, but you get the gist. It's important to clarify, by the that the phrase arsenal of democracy doesn't refer to the size of our existing military, nor does it refer to our military spending. It refers to our military production potential, how much military equipment we could make in the event of a long conventional war against a major power like China. Although people who bemoan the withering of the defense industrial base talk about shrinking military budgets, the deeper problem is the U.S. deindustrialization. Over the past two decades, less and less of the U.S. economy has been devoted to making physical stuff, while China's economy has remained more industrial than any major U.S. ally. Manufacturing isn't the only thing you need for a strong military. Software, logistics and other things also help. But most of the economic output that goes into fighting a war consists of physical weapons and supplies. For years, pundits in the U.S. dismissed the importance of manufacturing, arguing that service industries like healthcare and education were more important sources of the good jobs of the future. Whether or not that was true, it completely neglected the military importance of manufacturing. This blasé attitude toward deindustrialization has now come back to haunt us. Anyway, I'll talk a bit about how we might be able to restore the arsenal of democracy. But first, I think it's important to explain why it matters in the first place. Obviously, if you're in Poland or South Korea, U.S. power and protection matter to you a lot. But many Americans naturally feel like they're protected by oceans on either side, and can safely afford to ignore what happens to countries like Ukraine and Taiwan, this is disastrous complacency. If you're not worried about the disappearance of the arsenal of democracy, you should be. What the lack of an arsenal of democracy means for your future, keep reading with a 7-day free trial. Subscribe to No Opinion to keep reading this p. Ost and get 7 days of free access to the full post archives.